Have you ever noticed how knowing the end of the story can cause you to forget the beginning of it? I mean, think about this in your own life. If you have reached adulthood, you've forgotten what it took to get there. You don't remember the feelings or the questions or the quandaries. They fade from your mind because you're at the point of arrival. And the story now has a shadow cast on it. And everything in the past is seen in light of the present. I think that can happen with our biblical stories. Abraham being one of them. In our lesson for today from Genesis, we hear about Abraham's renewal of the covenant, God's renewal of the covenant with Abraham. Now, this might not seem like that big of a deal. I mean, we do remember this passage. Most of us can remember the gist of the passage. But God made a covenant with Abraham, well, Abram, way before we get to this story. And God promised Abram that he would make him the father of many nations, give him a promised land. But you know what? Times got rough. In fact, there was a time when um, there was a famine in the land, and Abram and Sarai, who were hungry, went to Egypt, where they heard that there was food. And Abram passed his wife off as his sister so that she could be a part of the harem of Pharaoh there in Egypt. Now, this was not part of God's plan. But I think Abram got a little nervous. I mean, it's nice to have a covenant and all, but I'm hungry. Things aren't going so well. Abram had a few more bumps along the road where even when he heard of God's promise to him, he kind of um, freaked out, for lack of a better description, and reached for what was familiar or handy or seemed most accessible at the time. But here we have the renewal of the covenant. He's 99 years old. And God reminds him that he's going to make him the father of many generations. And I think it's interesting that Paul talks about the faith of Abraham at this point. I mean, that's a nice way to think about it. Having lived now as a son of Abraham, Paul would have understood himself as that, being a Hebrew man. He would recognize Abraham as his father. All those generations between him and Abraham. And so he reckons it as faith. That's how Paul tells the story. But you know what? Abraham, or Abram, when he was 99, he might have been like, okay, sure, whatever. It might have just been resignation. It may not really have been much about faith at all. But like, sure, I'm 99, okay, whatever you think. But Paul remembers it differently. Because Paul has, is the descendant of that promise. He noticed that God made a covenant and kept it. And that's how Paul is who Paul is. One of the Hebrew people. So when he remembers the story of Abraham, he remembers what God has done in and through Abraham. I think we do that with stories all the time. Look at them from a present perspective. And we can be tempted to do that even with the stories of Jesus. In this story, in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is telling his disciples that things are going to get bad. Now, how did he know that? 
Did Jesus always know that things are going to get bad? Or did he have a hunch that things would get bad? Because he knows that people aren't really open to some things. And he was noticing people's reaction to some of the things he was doing and noticed that they were really angry. When did Jesus know that it was going to get bad? We hear him tell his disciples in this passage of scripture that he's going to suffer and he'll die and after three days be raised again. Now, this is not what his disciples had in mind. I mean, they also notice how angry the religious leaders are and how angry the, um, the leaders of the, the civil leaders are. They notice what crowds are saying and they notice that the heat is turning up, but they're going to push through this. And Peter says to Jesus, no way, that's not how we're going to let it happen. We're with you. We'll make sure you don't suffer and that you don't die. But Jesus knows that in order to not have that be the outcome, he's going to have to diminish the message that he has brought to the world of God's transforming love and the power of that. And he doesn't want to be tempted to settle for something less than that. And so he instructs Peter to get behind him. Not to get ahead of him in what he thinks God would will, but to get behind him and to follow And to make his point, he calls Peter a name, Satan. The best name, perhaps, that could be chosen to emphasize that Jesus would not tolerate Peter's agenda. Peter couldn't have an agenda and put Jesus out in front of it. No, Jesus says, you get behind me. This is how it's going to go. And so Jesus talks about denying themselves and taking up their cross. And when we read that, we have an image. We say, oh yes, the cross, we remember because we know what happened to Jesus in his suffering and that he carried a cross on his shoulder and that he was hung on a cross and he died because he couldn't breathe anymore. That's how you die on a cross. You can't breathe anymore. You suffocate. That's what took so long. So we look back and we have a vision of a cross, but if, if indeed these two things happened right next to each other as we hear them in Mark's gospel, if Jesus did give this instruction immediately after he tells Peter to get behind him, or whenever maybe Jesus gave this instruction prior to his death, I would imagine people heard it and said, okay, take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself, okay, all right. Uh, I don't really know what this means now, um, but you obviously want me to remember it. Right? They hadn't seen the end of the story yet. But we, having knowing the end of the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, we look back and the story has a different lighting by the shadow of our present understanding And so in this Lenten season, we deny ourselves. And when it feels heavy and burdensome, the call that God has for us to follow him, we feel the wood cutting into our neck. And we feel our muscles tense up. And we think, I've got to change sides here. This is hard. We see the past, that story, in light of the present. You know, Jesus was doing amazing things at that time things that no one had ever done before. He was healing people. He would cast out 
demons. I mean, that's the only way they could explain some of this stuff. All the other elixirs and words spoken and things shaken and all the other attempts hadn't done anything. But Jesus came and did stuff. People who were crippled could walk. People who were blind could see. This guy had something more. And the disciples wanted that. I am totally into this particular TV show, I have to tell you. A, put, a particular TV show, which maybe you haven't heard about, because it's not on one of the major networks. It's on the CW network. And it's called Black Lightning. Smile at me if you like that show. I love this show. I heard about it on the radio, and um, I was intrigued, because it's just a normal 21st century African-American family, but the father just has a little bit of a superpower. And um, he's known as Black Lightning. And um, I'm not really into superhero stories. I have no desire to see Black Panther or any superhero things. I don't really like. I, I'll just say I don't like sci-fi. It doesn't get, capture me. I don't, I'm not intrigued by it. I don't need superheroes. But this show I really am into. And part of the reason I'm into it is because it's contemporary ills. They've got drugs they're trying to deal with gangs, they've got social tensions and hierarchies and societies that dominate and so people can't get ahead even when they try to. In fact, the main character, he's the principal of a school, an alternative school, to give kids a chance at education so they can get out of their difficult situation. And yet, people aren't all able to get out of that difficult situation. So he's a superhero a little bit. And um, in this story, he's actually given up his superpowers for about eight years, but things have really gotten bad. And he's wrestling with whether or not to use them or how to use them. And, of course, there are lots of opinions about that. So in one scene, just this past week, he's talking with his daughter, who must also have some type of super strength, because she got in a fight with a couple of girls. They picked a fight with her. And... In her fighting with them, she broke the wrist of one of the other girls. And so um, the father is having a conversation here with his daughter about, that's not acceptable. You're not supposed to fight. And he says to her, I know, even when it's really hard, you need to walk away. And I'm sitting there watching the television. I'm like, I know, that's right. And they have a little bit more of a conversation because she tells him about the circumstance and how they started it and she tried to, but then this happened and that happened. And then he says to her, well, you only fight when you can put the fire out. You don't want to add fuel to the fire, so only do it when you can put the fire out. And I thought, wow, isn't that the conflict? Isn't that part of the difficulty here? And he, being somewhat superhero-like, it, it does matter if he has on the costume. The costume does give him some certain powers. But my point being, he later in that episode attempts to put the fire out, and he falls short of his best efforts, and the evil continues on. I like this show because I wish there were some people here with superpowers. Some people who could just, you know, drop in and obliterate the evil, make it all better, 
stop bullets with a force field, things like that. I'm wanting that. And I think that's what we sometimes look to Jesus to do. We say, come on, Jesus, drop in now. We can't make sense of this, and we can't fix it, and we need a superhero. We need somebody to come in. Now's the time, right here, right here. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus isn't a superpower, a superhero like we imagine. This season of Lent, we are engaging in a program through the brothers of the Society of St. John the Evangelist. The brothers are in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and every day they give a little video that you can watch. And this past week, well, the whole series is about meeting Jesus. This past week has been about Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Healer, Jesus as Teacher, But the whole series is about meeting Jesus. And I would think everybody in this room would say, oh yeah, I met him. But I'm wondering if there's a reason they titled the the lessons this way. Maybe we have a skewed vision of who Jesus is. Perhaps we're wanting Jesus to be a particular thing. And like the disciples in Mark's gospel, we need to hear Jesus say, but that's not who I am. But if you follow me, you will experience the salvation you long for. Jesus is inviting us to follow. It's not always our favorite position. If you're a person who likes to hike on trails, there are probably people that you like to hike with or don't, depending on where they like to be in the line. Maybe you've had conversations out on the trail about who gets to go first, who likes to go first, Sometimes there's someone who just wants to go fast, and so the other people go behind. Sometimes we don't like to go second because we can only see a few steps in front of us. When you're at the front of the trail, you can see the whole way that it winds around. Jesus asks us to go second, to follow. Jesus tells us you only need to see the first step in front of you, two maybe at most. Follow me. We might not like the limits of our view. But as Paul reminds us, one step is enough to walk a life of faith. It's only the next step you need to see. It's only the next step you need to take to live this life of faith. And Paul reminds us of what God does when we follow Jesus. God does do super things things beyond our imagination. God does make a new reality in ways that we can't quite explain. And following Jesus is our way of participating in that reality, of growing in trust to only see the next step, maybe two at most in front of us. Learning to follow Jesus in the way that Jesus leads. It's what this season of Lent is about. We practice denying ourselves of things so that we can get a little more comfortable with what that might feel like. So that we can recognize Jesus' invitation and not be hindered by our inabilities, but instead ready and say, oh, I, I know a little bit about this, maybe. I can at least take the next step. 
That's what we're called to do in the life of faith. Simply to take the next step. We can wait like Abram until we've exhausted all possibilities and so we resign ourselves to take the next step that God has. Or we can commit ourselves in the here and the now and say, even though I can see a lot of other options, some of which thrill me a little bit more, I know that your way is the way of life. And so I want to learn to follow you trusting that if I can take simply the next step, I am indeed walking in faith. God will do amazing things with us. Amen.